Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 8, 20 to verse 22 to 25. We're just going to read uh, these few verses. Last week, Andrew looked at a storm. And this week, we're going to look at a storm. Because I don't know about you, but life is made up of quite a few storms. Okay? Is that just me? Or have you faced some storms before, faced some difficulties? So there's no harm for us to spend a couple of weeks looking at how do we handle storms. And what I want us to look at particularly today is how do we handle some of the things that come at us in a storm? And that's why I've called the preach today, Silence and Doubt. Because those are two things that I have experienced when I have been in a storm. I felt sometimes that God is distant and that he's silent. And other times that I felt doubt. Doubt has creeped in. And I want us to look at those two aspects today by just looking at Luke chapter 8. Just three verses here. Jesus calms the storm. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall, like a storm, came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him up and said, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the winds and the raging waters, and the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. Now, the first thing that I notice when I read that is how could he be so on it when he's only just woken up? Okay, anyone else who's not very on it when you just wake up? I mean, I would have just been like, where are we? What are we doing? And he's on it, sorted the water out, got it sorted in a moment. That's pretty amazing. That is nothing to do with what I want to share on today. That's just an observation for free. Um, (laughs) But anyway, what I want to talk about is how we handle the storm. But let's just dial it back a little bit and start at the beginning of these few verses. See, Jesus doesn't say a lot in these verses. And he doesn't say much at all, really, just two, two port, uh, portions of stuff that he says in there. And there's only three verses. But it doesn't take a lot to read that and realize that it was a huge, dramatic event. And yet he, Jesus doesn't say a lot in the storm. And often I think we can go through some real dramatic times in our life and can feel like Jesus doesn't say much. But he came through in the end, and that's the main thing. And we're just going to explore that a little bit further. But it all started, didn't it, with Jesus turning to the disciples and saying, we're here, let's go over to the other side. We're here, let's go to the other side of the lake. Now that's really different from, I don't know whether you've ever gone out with groups of friends and tried to make a decision about something, and it's a nightmare. One of the worst holidays I ever went on was when we went with a group of about 10 people, and they were older people than me, quite a bit older than me, and um, none of them made a decision about anything. We couldn't decide, but we just traipsed around this city trying to find somewhere to eat, and we needed to get a general consensus amongst 10 people whether this was the restaurant, and in the end, we were hungry, bored, and like fed up because no one made a decision about anything. But I love in this story that Jesus just said, hey, we're here, let's go there. He didn't say to the disciples, what's the vibe? What are you feeling? Do you think we should go over to the other side? Should we get into the boat? What should we do? You know, what do you, oh, that's an interesting point, Peter. Good one. I'll bear that one in mind. Let's take a vote. He didn't do that. He just said, clearly, you're here. Let's go over here. And you know, there are times in our lives when the next step that we need to take is not always obvious to us. We can't always see where we need to go next. But there were other times in our lives when, like the disciples, it was really clear. The call was really clear. 
The call was simple, just go to the other side. Maybe some of us can think back to times when we have known, we might not have heard the audible voice of God, but we have known what the right next step was. Sometimes it's a a peace that comes on you or a peace that leaves you when you think about a different option. Sometimes it's just a, 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 you just know, you just know in your gut that that's the right thing to do. And I believe that there are people that have felt that clear call before, or maybe there's people that are feeling it right now, that God is calling you to another side. And the other side might look different for all of us. Maybe the other side is stepping out into a new job. Maybe the other side is stepping out into a new opportunity. Maybe the other side is picking up a relationship that you've abandoned. Maybe the other side is turning away from a bad habit that's been holding you back and saying, no longer will I live with that. No longer will I let that hamper me. I'm going to the other side. See, God is calling us, I believe, to the other side. And he's making it clear. He's saying, come on, come with me, come to the other side. Why does he bother? Why does Jesus say to these disciples, let's get in the boat and go to the other side? Sometimes I think we can sometimes think that God is a capricious God who kind of wants to play with us mere mortals, almost like Greek mythology. But our God's not like that. See, Jesus, when he said, let's go to the other side, it's because on the other side, there was a good work to do. There was a good work to be done. See, on the other side, there was a man who was demon-possessed that was waiting to be set free on the other side. And that man, when he gets set free, was then instructed to go and tell the town about the person that had just set him free on the other side. And I just want to say this to you. Whatever you're facing right now, There are good works for you to do on your other side. Whatever that other side looks like, whether it's giving something up, whether it's taking something up, whether it's being bold to push into something, there's a good work waiting for you on that other side. Why do I know this? Because God says we are, what does he say? God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which what? He has prepared in advance for us to do. You were made for good works. And on your other side, there's something good waiting for you. There's something good. God doesn't take you on a journey. God doesn't take you across a lake just to mess with your mind. God takes you because he loves people. And our good works are always to do with people. And there's somebody waiting on your other side. Maybe there's a habit that when you crack it and you give it up and you go to the other side, you can help somebody else to freedom. Maybe there's an opportunity, a job, or something where there's somebody who is waiting for you to turn up in that job so that you can talk to them about Jesus and you can bring freedom to them. There's good works waiting for us on the other side. So the disciples set out with a clear call. They knew where they were going. There was no ambiguity. It was not their idea. It was God's idea. But here we go. As they set out, what happens? A storm hits. Have you been there? Have you stepped out clear because you know God called you and then a storm hit? That's like one person in here. Nobody has ever had a storm hit them. Yeah, come on, one there. A few more coming up now. That's better. Because so often we can step out full of confidence because, hey, it wasn't my idea. It was God's idea, so I'm going to go for it. And then a storm hits. And that's where we find the disciples. This storm had come and it had floored them. And I want us to talk a little bit about that today, because often when we step out and it's God's idea, a storm can hit, and how we handle the storm is key to whether we make it over to the other side or not. See, one of the things that we need to understand 
is that it wasn't their idea in the first place. And I love that because if it had been all of their ideas, sometimes when you walk into a store and you know you've made a bad decision, you kind of go, well, probably made a wrong decision. But for the disciples... They knew where the blame lay. It was Jesus' idea. You know, it wasn't, wasn't his, it wasn't their idea. It was Jesus. And it can hurt all the more sometimes when you feel like you've had a clear call from God and you step out and a storm hits. One of the things that I read when I was studying these verses is that the geography around the Sea of Galilee means that it's surrounded by hills, which means I know very little about geography. In fact, my school teacher asked me not to do GCSE geography because I was very bad at it. Uh, but that means that the storms used to get funneled into the Sea of Galilee. And that meant that they could come on sudden and they could be devastating because they just used to get funneled down. See, often when we step out and a storm hits us, we want to blame God because we say, well, it was his idea for us to step out. But when we read about the storm here, we realize that actually the storm was a natural occurrence because of the geography in the land. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but sometimes we attribute blame where there is no blame. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where storms come and storms will hit. The Bible says the rain comes on the righteous and the unrighteous. The storm wasn't Jesus' fault. It was part of the territory. And yet we can so often start to get angry. We can start to blame. We can start to feel a bit annoyed about things. You know, when these guys were saying the storm was bad, they meant it was bad. Sometimes we can think, well, they're probably being a bit dramatic. But these were professional fishermen, and that's really important to realize that these, these people that were on the boat weren't just amateurs at sailing. This is what they did for a living. Now, I've been sailing once, okay, and um, on a little boat, obviously. I don't know why I felt I needed to clarify that. Um, but anyway, and uh, I was terrible. I was always on the wrong side and getting hit by the jib thing on, on my head. And then I just fell in, thank goodness for wetsuits. Um, not something, I just thought, why don't people just use a car? Like, I don't understand why anyone would want to be wet. And yeah, anyway, I understand that for some people it has a, a, as appeal. But it wasn't me that was on the boat. It was someone and some people who had expertise in that. So when they turn around and say things are bad, you have to start to believe them. Sometimes people can be very dramatic in life. My family have... Um, like a, a genetic issue with losing keys. We all lose our keys. My mum, my dad, my brother, and me are notorious. My brother's left guitars all over the place. He left wallets, everything. But they always come back to him. But my, my dad, if anyone's worked with my dad, in fact, someone bought him like a homing thing that you put on your key that links to your phone so you can try and track your keys. But the problem is my dad always uses his phone as well. So he kind of needs like a reverse kind of thing there. But my dad and my brother, Rich, don't really care about it. But my mum is just as bad, probably worse, at losing her keys. And she'll do it like four or five times a day. Um, but the problem is she panics every time she does it, and she tries to get us to panic with her. So she'll sit there and she'll go, oh, hang on, hang on, no, I definitely, I've lost them. No, I mean it now. Don't joke. Don't joke, children. This is serious. I know I've lost them before, but now I've really lost them. She has hardly, I, I think maybe lost them once in my entire life, and yet every day she says, oh, it's really serious now. You just discount people like that, don't you, when they're dramatic? You think they don't really really mean it. But when a professional says to you, we're drowning, and that's what they do for a living, you are worried. This was a bad storm that they were in. It wasn't just a little bit of a shaking storm. This was a bad storm. And it got worse because Jesus was silent. 
He was asleep. Not only were these professionals facing a really difficult storm, not only did they think they were going to die and drown, the guys whose idea it was in the first place was fast asleep. I'd have been pretty annoyed right now, okay? I didn't ask to go on the boat. I didn't ask to nearly risk my life. And the guy that suggested it is asleep. I mean, what is that all about? We're fighting for our lives here, and Jesus is having a kip. It's pretty irritating, isn't it? And so often we can step out and we can feel like we're in a storm and it can feel like God has gone silent. You only have to read the Psalms. The Psalms are littered with, God, would you incline your ear towards me? Would you hear me? Would you hear me? Would you answer me from my distress? I need a word from you. I need to hear you. I need to know that you're real. The silence of God is not an uncommon occurrence And sometimes it can happen when we're in a storm. And the thing that happens when we face a storm and the silence comes, often doubt can set in. Storm and silence can be a great seedbed for doubt to grow. And I just want us to look at some doubts that I think we can come across when we're in the middle of a storm. And I just want to address some of those and hopefully encourage you, if you are struggling with some of these doubts, to realize that there is a way forward. See, one of the first things that you doubt when you hit a storm, I think, is you doubt your direction. You get in the storm and and you, you, you go in strong, the storm hits, and then you start to think, oh, did I hear right in the first place? Did did Jesus say over the lake or around the lake? Maybe there was a wind and I didn't quite hear what he was trying to say. What did he say? Did did he really mean get in a boat? Did he mean today? Or did he mean at some point in the future we could cross the lake? Did he mean now? And we start to panic and we start to think, is the direction that we're going in the right direction? Or do we need to backtrack a little bit? Do we need to rein it in? Maybe we started and we thought our other side was a radical other side. Maybe it was a faith-filled other side. And actually we hit the storm and then we think, well, maybe I was being a bit over-ambitious with my, with my vision there. Maybe I didn't hear right from God. Let's just dial it back a little bit. And, and we might say, maybe he didn't mean us to go right the other side of the lake. Maybe he meant us to, to stop in the middle of the lake, which is ridiculous, but, you know, levitate there for a while. I don't know. Or maybe he meant, rather than going over the lake that way, maybe we could backtrack a bit. And I know a back route that I could sort out myself and walk around it. Still get to the same place, but we do it on my terms. Maybe that's what we could do. Because that's what happens when the doubt about direction sets in. We start to panic, we start to water it back, we dial it back, we shrink back, and we say, oh, maybe I didn't hear quite right. And then one of the saddest things that I've seen is that we start to then transfer that onto other people who are going for their other side. And we start to look at them and go, it's fine going for another side, but wait till the storm hits. Because look at me, I'm in a storm right now. And there will be a storm. And see how you feel then. Your face not going to be so great then. And we can actually cause other people to shrink back because we're shrinking back. But see, the key thing about this encounter that you need to understand, this miracle, is that Jesus showed them that he had power over the elements. Up until that point, they had seen Jesus heal people, raise people from the dead, but they had never seen Jesus have power over the wind and the waves. 
And that wouldn't have been lost on them because these guys were Jews. So as soon as they saw Jesus exerting power over the natural elements, they would have straight away started to think of Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. Because in their mind, God could control the elements. Those two beliefs were synonymous. But they didn't realize that Jesus could until that moment. And here's what happened. They had a totally fresh revelation of Jesus in that lake. They had a totally fresh revelation of Jesus. And that's why at the end they said, who is this man who can control the wind and the waves? It was just mind-blowing for them. They knew that when he prayed for people that they could get better, but they'd heard of prophets doing that. But this man came, and when he said, be still to the winds and the waves, they were. And suddenly a jigsaw piece in their head was kind of slotted in together. And that allowed them further down the line to realize that this is Jesus the Messiah. And here's the thing that struck me. If they'd doubted their direction, if they'd backpedaled, if they'd gone a different way, sure they might have avoided the storm, but they would have avoided the revelation that Jesus had for them that was fresh and new in the middle of that lake. And you see, I believe that God has got some fresh revelation for you today. That if you backtrack, if you doubt the direction that he's called you to the other side, if you say, no, I must have heard wrong, I'm going to go right back, I'm going to walk, I'm going to get on, I don't know, a donkey or something and go a different way rather than across the lake. If you do that, sure, you might avoid the storm, but you might miss a revelation that Jesus has just for you that you've never had before. See, maybe your other side is the other side of trusting God for financial provision. Maybe your other side is actually trusting that he will heal us, trusting that he has got a good purpose for you. And maybe the revelation he wants to show to you is that he is your provider, not just someone else's, your provider. Maybe the revelation he's got for you today is he's your healer, not just someone else's. And if we backtrack, if we don't go to the other side, if we doubt the direction that God is putting us in, then sure, we might make it to the other side, but we will miss that revelation that is just for you. And that is what, where our faith is built. And that is where we have a, just a bigger understanding of who Jesus is. So if we doubt our direction, let's just take a moment and think, God, what is the revelation you are trying to teach me in this moment? What fresh revelation are you going to give to me as I'm going to my other side? So we can doubt our direction. The other thing that can lead us to doubt, along with direction, is our circumstances. Our circumstances can lead us to doubt. You see, these guys, they were in the middle of a storm. And if you doubt in the direction, you can start to really get overwhelmed by your circumstances. Because although we know in our heads that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, the sun shines on the righteous and the righteous, that we could face opposition, we, we know all that. Somehow when it happens to us, it's so much more difficult. Sometimes I've gone and stepped out for God And then a storm's hit, and I've said, God, why is it hit so soon and so badly? You know, I was expecting this, but at least let me get get going, let me get a bit used to it. But no, sometimes it hits so quickly and so suddenly. And the problem is then our circumstances really can totally blindside us. We can get overwhelmed by them. We can just feel, oh, what is going on here? But I come back to the point that I made. The storm was a natural occurrence because of the geography of the land. 
The storm was a natural occurrence because of the geography of the land. You see, the geography of the land that we are taking is kingdom land. And you and I are not in a battle that is against flesh and blood, but a battle that is against powers and principalities of evil. So we should not be surprised when we take ground and we take on land and we go over to the other side that there's a storm there. You know, but we are, aren't we? Sometimes we're totally like, where's this storm come from? Well, the storm is just part of what happens when you start to step out for God. Because I tell you, we've got an enemy, call him Satan, call him the devil, call him the enemy, who wants to do three things. Three things and three things only, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. To steal, to kill, and destroy. There is no good in him. There is no fun in him. That's why we shouldn't take it lightly. To steal, to kill, and destroy. And when we're stepping out and our circumstances feel overwhelming, he's got us exactly where he wants us. Powerless. Powerless. But you know, my um, old Sunday school teacher, Jim, always used to say to me and to the other kids, he used to say, if you're facing some hardships now because of God, you must be doing something right. Because the enemy's not going to bother with someone who's not doing anything. Because they're no threat to him. But the people that are stepping onto their other side, they're the people that he's thinking, whoa, this person's doing something. This person's taking ground that I want. And that's when the storms can hit. Because it's a natural part of what we're in, which is a battle. A battle to see God's kingdom come. And so we've got to start thinking a little bit differently about our circumstances. Because remember, through it all, Jesus was asleep. He was not worried about the circumstances. He cared about them, but he wasn't worried by them. And I'm not saying that we need to be in denial of the circumstances that we're in. We don't need to say everything's fine when it's not. But we do need to give circumstances their right place and not put them over everything else. You see, the thing, Jesus wasn't worried about the circumstance because he knew the direction. The problem is when we worry about the direction, the circumstances rear their head and have so much more kind of um, power over us than they need to. But when we're clear about our direction, the circumstances, their impact is less. And that's why Jesus cared about them, but he wasn't worried because he knew where he was going. He was going to the other side where there were good works to do. So he wasn't worried about the storm. Whatever your other side is, whatever the storm that you're facing now, whatever the circumstances you're in right now, don't doubt your direction and the circumstances will fall a little bit by the wayside. They'll become less relevant. They won't rear their ugly head as much as you think they might because God's got you and he's taken you to the other side. The final area that I think we sometimes doubt when the storm hits, is we can doubt our ability. We can doubt our ability. The disciples, as I've said, were professional fishermen. This was the area where they were fishing and they lived. They knew the lake. Uh, They must have known that storms were quite common. They'd probably been out in storms before. And yet there was something about this storm that they could not handle. There was something about this storm that they could not sort out. They couldn't get through this storm. It was beyond their natural ability. And I don't know about you, but it's much more difficult, isn't it, when we feel we should be able to handle something than when we're in something that feels totally like, well, I don't know anything about this, so I I can't handle this. 
When you feel like you should know better or you should be able to get through this or you've been through a storm that's similar to this but yet for some reason you can't get through this in your own ability, then those are times when we start to doubt our own ability. When I was at... um, Uni, there were certain types of people that, uh, to be honest, used to avoid during exam term because they used to be pretty irritating. Because what they would do is they would spend most of their time making a beeline for you to tell you how little work they had done for their exams. Okay? I don't know whether others have come across this. The thing about my college is that the library was right on the entrance and you used to see them going to the library religiously every single day and yet they would then come and find you in the canteen and tell you how little work they've done. And you would sometimes I'd say, well, you've been in the library all day and they say, oh, no, I was on YouTube or something like that. Um, and I used to think, why are they telling me this? Because I used to be so proud if I'd done any work. I'd be like, finally, I've had some motivation. But um, they, they used to come and sort of tell you how little work they'd done and they used to go on and on about it. And then I realised why they did it. Because they did it, because if they failed, it wasn't a reflection of them personally. It was a a reflection of the fact that they hadn't done as much work as they should have done. There's nothing worse than failing when you're really trying. Because that really starts to get at your identity. Starts to make you doubt who you are. Doubt your ability. And I wonder if some of the disciples felt this to some degree when they were in that boat, fighting for their lives in a storm on a lake that they knew, in a boat that they would have known... I wonder if they started to think, I should be able to get through this, but I can't. And it was when they came to the end of their own natural ability that they finally went and said, Master, Master, we're going to drown, that Jesus gets up and calms the sea, and he does what he needs to do, and he brings it all back on track. See, our ability is never supposed to be enough. Our ability, the call of God to go to the other side, is never a call that we can do just in our own strength. If the call of God on my life was all to do with my ability, then it would be a pretty mediocre, meager call. We can so often doubt our ability in the storm, but God doesn't want us to doubt our ability because his ability is so much greater. And so whilst we might doubt our ability, never doubt God's ability to bring you through that storm because Jesus had it covered you know Jesus wasn't worried about the lake he wasn't worried about the storm he had it covered and he's not worried about your lake and he's not worried about your storm because he's got it covered he isn't worried he cares but he's not worried sometimes we worry 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 that but he doesn't worry he he has got it covered he has got it covered and here's something that you need to understand about God I really felt this when I was preparing this, that God is not a God who will put you to shame. He is not a God who's going to call you to the other side and leave you hanging. In Hebrews 13, it says he equips us with all that we need. It says, doesn't it, in 2 Peter, that he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We don't lack anything. We lack no good thing in Christ Jesus. And so often we feel our inadequacies, where rather than doubting our ability, we should be trusting his. Because he's not going to take you halfway and leave you. My Bible, I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible says he's the author and perfecter of faith. It says that he that has begun a good work in you will carry it out until the day of completion. You know, there's nothing that's going to be half-hearted about Jesus. He's not going to set you up to fail. 
He's not like that. He is not a God who wants to bring shame. Shame is from the enemy. Shame is not from God. Shame is not from God. There is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Shame is not of God. God wants you to succeed. He wants you to win. Why? Because he loves you, but also because he has good works to do. On the other side, there's people that need you to get to the other side. God needs you to get to the other side because there's people he cares about there. There's works to be done. So don't think God is going to leave you halfway. Don't think he's going to call you and not equip you because he will. It might not be natural ability, but his ability is more than enough. And what we've got to be is like the disciples and know where our ability needs to be used and where we need God to step in, where our work ends and where God's begins. You know, where we say, I've come this far, but I can't go any further. God, I need you here. God will not put you to shame. If you doubt your ability, never doubt his ability. If you doubt the direction you're in, never doubt the direction God is taking you in. Never doubt God's direction for you. You know, if the disciples knew, we can read with hindsight, I wonder if the disciples knew that the reason God, Jesus, had asked them to go to the other side was because of this man, this demon-possessed man, and the town there. I wonder if Jesus had said, look... Guys, we're going to go to the other side. It might be a bit rocky, but I know we'll get there because I know that there's a man there that needs to hear from me. Okay? And I know there's a town that needs to hear about me. I wonder if the disciples knew that, how different that journey across the lake would have been. You know, it's like when you watch a Netflix series and you see there's like eight series, and in the first episode, the key character is in jeopardy you know that that key character is not going to die because they've got eight series out of it, okay? So you know that that guy's... So that the climax that the producer is trying to... Because obviously this is probably billed like one episode a week, but who watches series like that? And, and so the, the, all of the climax is gone. And that's what would have happened to these disciples. If Jesus had told them what the good work was, all of the faith that had been built, all of the climax would have gone. You know, because even in the storm, they'd have said, well, we know we get there because Jesus has said there's a, there's a guy that we need to sort of sort out. You know, when I was growing up, and I was quite angsty, always having chats with my mum about all sorts of stuff and overanalyzing, overthinking everything. I think that's why my brother's monosyllabic. But... <laughs> I remember talking to my mum about stuff and sometimes I'd be like trying to work it all out and what's my life goal and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's quite ridiculous now, but I look back and I remember my mum saying to me on numerous occasions, probably because I talked too much and she was like, oh, seriously. Uh, but I remember her turning to me and saying, Rhiannon, this is an old fashioned word, I guess. She said, you're no better than a heathen. I'm like, whoa. She said, you've got no faith. If I spoke to somebody who was going through the same thing as you and didn't have Jesus, didn't have God, didn't believe that he's got your back, you wouldn't sound any different because you're trying to work it all out. You're trying to sort out what's on the other side, basically, is what she's saying to me. Before you step into the boat, you're trying to get it all nailed down, and God doesn't work like that because that's what faith is, Rhiannon. You have got no faith. Where's your faith? She's open for pastoral care if you want. After this, <laughs> I can say she's not here in this service. Um, but it's true. 
I had no faith. And the disciples, if they'd known where they were going, their faith wouldn't have been built. And we learned last week, didn't we, that it's faith that puts a smile on the face of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But faith is one of these weird things that's a gift from God. And sometimes he uses our circumstances to gift us with faith. See, when they went across that lake, they did not arrive at the other side the same as when they set out. Not only had they had a fresh revelation of Jesus because he could calm the waves and the storm, they had a fresh understanding of the faith that was in them that Jesus would get them through whatever storm they went through and so often we want to know everything we want to know the end we want our circumstances to all line up and God's saying I've got the direction and I'm going to tell you the direction but the detail I'll save for myself because I want to build something in you because I want you to understand about faith because you're going to miss out on the richness of what I've got for you in the journey if you just focus on the destination and so When we doubt our circumstances, don't doubt, sorry, when we doubt our direction, don't doubt the direction that God has taken you in, because he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's building within us. I wonder if the band can come up, please. You know, the the final thing that I talked about is circumstances. And really, there's almost not much to say about circumstances because when you're clear in your direction, the circumstances have less of an impact on your life. But I just want to say this to you. No matter what your storm looks like, no matter what your circumstances look like, God has got a better plan than you could ever imagine. You know, even if you feel very much like you've walked into this battle and you feel overwhelmed and you can't see the end of it, God has got a better plan. You see, God will not bring you to shame. He will not see you fail. He will not let your foot slip. It says, he who watches over you neither slumbers nor sleeps. He might have been asleep, it seemed, in the boat, but he wasn't really sleeping. He wasn't sleeping. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew what what we could bear and what we couldn't. A bruised reed, it says, he will not crush. Your circumstances might seem overwhelming, but we worship a God who is victorious. We worship a God who has won the battle once and for all. And do you know what that means? It means that we might be able to look back and say with Joseph that what you meant for harm, God used for good. And so the circumstances that might seem to be harming you right now, God, I believe, can bring good out of them. He can build faith. He can show you an aspect of his work and his character that you have never seen before so that when you go into the next storm, and there will be another storm, you will go there stronger because you have learned something about Jesus in the last storm. You are battle-hardened, but you will win because you are on the winning side. Let's stand, shall we? We're on a victorious side, a side that has won, a side that won't see us put to shame, a side that will not see us flounder, a side that wants us to get to our other side because there's work to be done, because there's people there that need to hear about Jesus. So when the silence and the doubt in the storm hits, we know what to do with it, don't we, church? I just want us to spend a moment of private kind of reflection now. I want you to just bow your heads, and I want you to think about where you are right now. Maybe you're about to go to another side, whatever that might look like for you. Maybe you feel like you're in the middle of a storm. Maybe actually you've backtracked away from your other side and you're stumbling around the side of the lake 
trying to get to the other side without facing any storm or any hardship. Wherever you are right now, I just want you to take a moment and be honest with yourself and God. Have doubts come into your life? Have you been doubting that you heard clearly from God in the first place? Have you been trying to backpedal? Have your circumstances overwhelmed you? Have you lost sight of your direction because the circumstances you've allowed to mushroom to have more importance than God ever meant them to have? Or maybe you're just doubting your ability. You were never meant to do it all anyway. What I want us to do is I want us to raise our faith. You know, you can talk to yourself. You can tell your soul what it really needs to believe. And I want you to start to tell your soul what it needs to hear. I want you to counter the doubts that are creeping in with the truth of God. So if your doubt is that you're doubting the direction of God, I want you to start to speak to that doubt and say, but I know that God's direction is true. And I know that he's going to take me across this other side and he's going to show me something of his character and a revelation that I have not seen yet before. If the doubt is your circumstance, I want you to speak to that doubt and I want you to say, do you know what? I'm clear where I'm going. I this, this storm is just part of the territory. It's part of what's happening when we go into the kingdom. I'm not going to let it have more credence than it needs. If your ability is what you're doubting, then I want you to substitute your ability with God's ability because you were never supposed to do it all yourself. And I want you to start to speak to yourself. Speak to yourself. And say, God, come in. Come in. I want to get to that other side, but I want to do it with you. I want to see the richness of your character in a way I've never seen before. I want to see those good works fulfilled. I want to be part of it, God. I want to be able to look back and say, hey, we went on this crazy journey and God managed to do this and tell other people of the stories, tell other people of what I've heard because I went to the other side. Father God, I just want to pray right now across this room, God, that you would just rise up in each person's heart, Lord. I pray that where there is doubt, it would go. God, I just pray where there is struggle, Lord God, that you would come and you would strengthen, Lord. I pray where people feel that you're silent, that they would hear from you today, God. Lord, I pray that you would renew, God, in them, the desire to go to that other side, God, the desire to push on, the desire to take new territory, the desire to turn around from the old. Father, I pray that you would just stir up a faith, God, that would see us see things that we've never seen before. God, I pray for each person that is really personally struggling right now, that they would have a revelation of you that is like nothing they have seen before, God, that they would have a personal encounter with you in the area of their need, God. Lord, I pray, God, that we would be a people who always journey to the other side, God, because we are consumed with seeing those good works that you have prepared for us, God, that you have got for us, that you've you've set aside for us, God, that you would help us get there, Lord. Lord, and I pray that we would be a people who are not worried about silence, who are not floundered by doubt, God, who are storm when it comes. We're okay with that because we know that your direction is safe, that you establish our steps, God. We can plan, but you are the one that establishes steps. And God, I pray across this room right now, Lord, that there would just be an outpouring of your confidence, your boldness, your bravery to go to the other side. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I pray. I just want to take one moment 
before we go into this beautiful song about the name of Jesus. And I just want to give you an opportunity. You know, maybe your other side looks like a total turnaround. You know, the word repentance means to turn around. Maybe your other side is saying, I've tried to go my own way. I've tried to do it in my own ability. And the storms of life I'm struggling to handle, or they've battered me, they've left marks on me, and I realize now that my other side is to start a journey with Jesus. You don't know what that looks like. None of us know the end result. But I can tell you it's the best thing that you can ever do. Because the Bible says when Jesus came to earth and walked amongst us, he didn't just come to do good acts. He came to die for you, to take your guilt, to take your shame, to take your past, to take your sin, to take all the things that hamper you, all the baggage that you carry around with you. You don't need to do that any longer because when Jesus died, perfect man, perfect God took that upon him and took the penalty for it, but even more importantly, rose again so that death has no dominion over him. And death need have no dominion over us. Death, where is your sting? We've spoken about it. Death, where is your sting? And I want to give you the opportunity that maybe your other side is taking that first step on a journey with Jesus and saying, I haven't got it all sorted, but I see something in you and I know, I just know, I can't explain it, but it's a clear, just like the disciples, I know I need to go on this journey. Maybe if you're honest, you've walked away and now's your time to come back, to get back on the boat again and get going again. I just want to pray with you. We're going to say this prayer and then afterwards, if you pray that for the first time or as a way of reconnecting with God, then we just got a gift that we'd love to give you. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for taking all my sin, all my shame, all my failures. And I thank you that because you rose again, I have a hope, I have future, and I'm on the winning side. And Jesus, I give you my life. Come into my life. Help me. Thank you. In your name. Amen. If you prayed that, and it's the first time you prayed it, or you prayed it as a way of reconnecting with God because you've come away from Him, I just want you to put your hand up for me. Eyes are bowed right now, of course, no one's looking, just me and a couple of team members to be able to give you a book. Thank you. Thank you. Just raise your hand and put it down again just so we can get you a, a Bible. to tell your soul some more truth we're going to sing this song right now and I tell you you can't sing this song without getting your faith stirred because it's all about the name of Jesus and no matter what storm we face there is one name that can conquer any storm so let's sing this song <laughs> 